Hello, everybody. Welcome to the season finale of the Stanford Daily Men's Basketball Podcast. My name is Teddy Solomon, alongside Jabril Zaha and Stanford Men's Basketball Team Manager Els Boone. And it's been a great season of this podcast. We're really excited to talk about not only the Pac-12 tournament, both Stanford game, Stanford's games and the tournament on the whole, but Stanford's season on the whole and Stanford's program on the whole. We're really going to jump into it all. We love to do that in this season finale episode where we can just talk about all of our thoughts about Stanford men's basketball. So on that note, we're going to jump into a recap of the tournament, but then we're going to get moving and we're going to have a conversation. It's going to be a chance for all three of us to share our thoughts on how this season went. What were the highs? What were the lows? What are the highs of this program? What are the lows? And what can we look for moving into next season? Let's talk about the Pac-12 tournament. It all started with an 8-9 matchup against Arizona State, a team that Stanford had played just the game before. Jabril, can you give us a quick recap of what happened in that one? Yeah, sure. Well, a wild ending here in Las Vegas. Stanford sort of known the past two years from crashing out of the tournament in the first round as the higher seed in the first round matchup. Both losses were at Cal. This time they faced Arizona State, a team that beat them by nine a few days ago in Tempe. Arizona State shot very poorly from beyond the arc, so we were saying oh, Arizona State probably is going to rebound a little bit from that and end up winning this game more comfortably. Uh, Turns out Arizona State was pretty much cruising in this one. Most of the time, they looked like a far better team. Uh, Stanford was able to keep within arm's length for most of it, but at the end, they really sort of fell out of it, down 14 with three minutes left, and then all of a sudden, Arizona State went incredibly cold, and Stanford went very hot. Stanford closed out the game with a 16-1 run over the last two minutes and 45 seconds. Arizona State didn't have a field goal in the last three minutes and a second, uh, and ended up winning the game on a buzzer beater from James James Keith winning the game 71-70 and that last play with eight seconds left Harrison Ingram just went down the court lost the ball it randomly fell to James Keith James Keith just threw the ball up and it somehow managed to bounce in a uh, 71-70 here win for Stanford um there's not really I don't think Stanford played well in this game aside from maybe Spencer Jones 26 points and then Keith with 16 Angel with 15 but overall Stanford was the worst team for about 35 minutes to this one Arizona State fell apart missed two front ends of one and ones from the free throw line um, Arizona State choked this one away and kudos to Stanford for taking advantage a crazy game and a monumental choke by Arizona State Els what were your thoughts coming out of this one yeah things were not looking good for Stanford's Hopes of winning the game with just a few minutes left. But as Jabril said, they turned around quickly behind Spencer Jones' sharp shooting. Shot 50% from three on 12 attempts, which is really impressive. Finished the game with 26, as Jabril mentioned. And really, there were only three main contributors offensively for Stanford in this game. Jones, Keith, and Angel. Harrison Ingram finished the game with 10 rebounds, but only six points. He was not as big a factor uh, offensively, but one of the things about Harrison Ingram that has been a bonus for the Stanford team is even when he's not having a good day scoring the ball wise, he still is a net positive to have on the court, plays defense hard, gets a lot of rebounds, is a great rebounder, just really helps the team out there. But yeah, the story of this one was really Spencer Jones carrying the Cardinal back into this one, James Keefe getting the game winning bucket, double double. He had a large impact in this game also. And Stanford really able to snatch a victory from the jaw of defeat. Head into the next day against the top seed, Arizona. Teddy, what else do you have on, the, on this game? Yeah, Stanford was down by 17 
It was looking like the season was over for the Cardinal. It was looking like I was going to be able to hop on this podcast and say, that was it. Losing record for Stanford, season over, and then give my usual spiel on Jared Haas. But Stanford was able to come back there and win by one. Like you said, a really phenomenal performance by Spencer Jones, scoring 26 points and six for 12 from three. It's unbelievable. He's the guy that you expect to step up. Um, An interesting thing to note here was that Jaden Dallaire was not in the starting lineup, and he came in off the bench, did not play a significant game. He's the guy that coming into the season, people thought would lead this team because he was Pac-12 most improved player. Um, Back last season, uh, no impact. But... James Keefe, James Keefe hit the buzzer beater, had 16 points on seven for eight from the field and 10 rebounds, a double-double there. It's just bizarre. It's extremely bizarre. Everything about this is bizarre. You usually expect the, the choke down the stretch by, to be from Stanford, but in reality is from Arizona State, one of the hottest teams in the conference. Um, you expected Stanford season to be over in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament as it's been, but no, they were able to pull it off down the stretch Um, Arizona State's not a good team. They are not a good team, but Stanford did come back and they were able to get that victory, which is something they'd been looking for for a couple of weeks because they had lost a lot of games in a row. So um, a big win against Arizona State to then move them into the game against Arizona. Like you said, Arizona coming in, one of the top teams in the country, a team with an unbelievable amount of talent, Lloyd having come over from Gonzaga and really put together something special in Tucson. Um, Ellis, what ended up happening against Arizona? Yeah, heading into this game, I don't think a lot of people around the country at least thought this was going to be a close one, but Stanford gave it their all, only ended up losing by four points. Spencer Jones continued to stellar play, 28 points, four for seven from three. Harrison Ingram, 16 points. Michael O'Connell, 11 points. He carried on from where he left off when they played in Tucson just last week. Uh, where he hit his first two threes of the game. Um, I don't think a lot of people thought that was going to happen again because he didn't play too well against Arizona State just the day before. Brandon Angel didn't do as much off the bench here. And then, Teddy, you mentioned Jane Dallaire not starting against Arizona State. He, again, did not start against Arizona. Coaching staff really, you could say, an eye towards next year or just seeing really what they think is going to work down the stretch. And it ended up working even though Stanford fell short. This is as good a performance as you can get against a top five team in the country team that is now a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. So even though you always want to get a win your last game in the season, I think you really can't, can't feel bad about this one if you are a Stanford player, Stanford fan. It was definitely a close one. Jabril, what were your thoughts? Yeah, very, very respectable way to go out for the Cardinal. Uh, Spencer Jones, as I mentioned, just phenomenal down the stretch, putting up career highs in two straight games, 26 against Arizona State, 28 against Arizona. Really impressive. Uh, Harrison Ingram having his first double-digit scoring game since, I believe, the Oregon State game. Uh, and it looked like he was going to struggle through this one again, only had three points in the first half, and then went off for 13 in the second half, six for seven shooting in that second half. Uh, finally, a good, good game from Harrison Ingram, and that's a great sign to see that coming back for him. Uh, they shot 55% from three, which is pretty lucky i would say 11 for 20 from the field but even despite that they hung with this arizona team and ultimately what killed them was not having an oscar to silver replacement type player they didn't uh keith kasunas reyno whoever it was they threw in the center just was not holding their ground whatsoever christian coloco put up 24 points against them on 12 10 for 12 shooting um i would say like as we've seen james keith and those guys and reyno only a freshman but they can hold their ground against the decent teams in the conference the average team sort of the middle of the pack of the pack 12 
they just can't hold their ground against the Christian Colocos of this conference. And that's the reason why they lost this game. Yeah, a respectable way to go out from what was a, a really bad season. Um, but this this Stanford team did did come to play against Arizona. Um, Spencer Jones being being the guy there, uh, really an incredible Pac-12 tournament performance by Spencer Jones, who's had his ups and downs at Stanford. There have been uh, there have been moments for Spencer Jones, like the game. I always think back to the game against North Carolina last season when he really he really collapsed from three, and that was what cost Stanford that game objectively also there were a bunch of issues with rebounding getting out rebounded 43 to 23 in that one but um but spencer jones fell apart there and he's had games like that but in the pac-12 tournament he was looking as good as anybody in the pac-12 it was really unbelievable to see um and again shooting well from three going four for seven from three and really feeling confident out there that's why he shot the ball 18 times against arizona because he was confident uh, why Jaden delaire was coming in off the bench i have no idea um, having an eye towards next season, that's nonsense to me. Uh, you need to win games here. The season's over if you don't win games. And Stanford lost by four. You lose by four to Arizona. The season is over at that point. Again, no no shame in losing a game by four to Arizona. There's a lot of shame in the rest of the season, and we'll talk about that in just a sec. But at this point in time, Stanford loses to Arizona. Stanford season, done. 16 and 16. But the Pac-12 tournament went on. So what happened in the rest of this Pac-12 tournament was Arizona went on to win it all. But I want to hear your guys' thoughts on the Pac-12 tournament on the whole before we jump into the big season recap of Stanford basketball and that great conversation that we get to have once a year where we talk about everything. So first and foremost, super short and brief thoughts on the Pac-12 tournament. Els, we'll start with you. Yeah, just thoughts on the Pac-12 tournament. I think it went basically as... Most people expect it to go. Not really any big upset this year, like we saw last year with Oregon State winning the title. Arizona against UCLA in the finals, a very entertaining game. I know I watched that one with Teddy. UCLA had a big lead in the middle. Arizona came back. So you saw really just an exciting game. Two really good teams taking lead at different points of the game. Arizona pulled it out, secured their number one seed for the NCAA tournament. I thought it was an interesting Pac-12 tournament. But yeah, no no big upsets this year. Just pretty a pretty chalk tournament. Jabril. What did you think of the Pac-12 tournament? Yeah, it was completely chalk, except for Stanford's 9-8 upset over Arizona State. All the higher seeds won. Uh, I guess looking at the scoreline, uh, Stanford gave Arizona the best game. So I guess we're the Pac-12 tournament runner-ups in some dream world. Um, yeah, not much else. That was, I guess there were a couple of good games in there. I thought UCLA-USC is always interesting because the rivalry didn't really come down to a great game at the end. But uh, that Arizona State, Arizona-UCLA game was a, was a very good game between two very good teams who have the potential to go deep. Uh, you might talk about it a little bit later, but UCLA lining up with Baylor as their one seed in their region. So potentially UCLA has a little bit of a run there given Baylor's injury problems. But Arizona State's a legit national title contender. They're excellent everywhere on the court. Uh, hopefully Kirk Krita can get healthy for them before the tournament starts. That's a huge component on where how, how far they can get. But a pretty chalk Pac-12 tournament, as you said, nothing really exciting as we had last year. Definitely nothing like last year. Uh, I was wrong. I predicted that UCLA was going to win this Pac-12 tournament. They did not. Uh, the, the championship game was great, though. They, it looked like UCLA was going to win near the start of the second half. Uh, then Arizona really just picked it up like they seemed to do, like they, like they did against Stanford the past two times, where at the end of the game, you can just feel that Arizona is going to win. And they're just too strong. 
Um, but in general, it was super duper predictable for the most part, other than that massive 9-8 upset of Stanford over ASU. When Stanford went into the locker room after the game and celebrated like they had beaten the number one team in the country after beating the 96 team in the net, that was pretty much the only significant, the only significant uh, note from this tournament. So, yeah, as we expected, you've got two really good Pac-12 teams going into the Pac-12 tournament and also USC uh, <laughs> going in here. And we're going to see what happens with those teams. But I really want us to talk about Stanford. I want us to talk about this season. Uh, it's been a, a great season for the Stanford Daily Men's Basketball Podcast, a terrible season for Stanford Men's Basketball. So let's start that conversation. Jabril, start it off. What happened this season? What's the state of the program? Absolutely anything that pops into your mind, let us know. Oh, boy. So I guess they were projected ninth in the preseason poll in the Pac-12. They ended up finishing ninth. But I think it's sort of not the correct take to say they met expectations. We, I predicted them to be sixth or seventh in the conference. And from what we conversation we've had offline, I know you projected them to be ninth because of coaching Teddy, but I think we both can agree that this team had talent to finish sixth or seventh in the conference pretty, pretty easily. They were sitting in a position to very much do that until they collapsed down the stretch against the competition. So I think ninth place is very much an underperformance for this team. Uh, that being said, uh, Teddy, are we talking about coaching yet? Or are we saving that for later in the podcast? We're, we're talking about we're talking about whatever you want, Jabril. We'll, okay, okay. we'll get to everything, and we'll we'll get more into coaching later. Okay, on. so let's talk about team. Let's talk about team then. Um, okay. So Spencer Jones, absolute breakout season. Uh, started off decently and started off decently. Had some hit or miss games, but down the stretch, and really the whole second half of the season, he'd been re- very very consistent, and he's finally hitting that stride where he can be the star of this team and. Hopefully that takes some of the pressure off Harrison Ingram if Harrison decides to come back next year. And Spencer can be the guy that really leads this team, showing some of that NBA potential some of us thought he had freshman year. So Harrison, or so Spencer Jones, huge plus, definitely an A grade on this season. I'm super looking forward to seeing things, seeing things what he's going to do next year. Um, Harrison Ingram had an excellent first half of the season. I think he was on his way to earning an A for me. I had a really rough like last month or so of the season, except for that Arizona game at the end, which was a good sign. But Harrison Ingram, I still say had a had a solid season when you look at it on a whole. Um, Brandon Angel also took big strides this year. James Keith, player development, it wasn't enough from a percentage percent from from what we needed in a center position in order to like really compete for an NCAA tournament bid. Uh, Keith Kasunas and Reno did not give the Cardinal enough this year. But overall, you got to credit the coach's player development. I don't think anyone expected James Keefe to come on and be able to put up 16 points a game or whatever 16 points it was against ASU. He's not averaging 16 points a game, but Keefe was an important part of this team. I don't think anyone saw that. And he was respectable for the vast majority of the year. Um, I think Michael O'Connell had a fine season. I think it was a pretty average season for him. I expected a little bit more, but nothing too bad for him. Brandon Angel took a big step forward and then Jane Dallaire really, I think, had the most disappointing season in terms of the starters and someone who you really expected to take that role to Oscar Silva and just didn't, just seemed to mean, meaninglessly drive to the hoop at too many times, turn the ball over. There were some games where Jaden Dallaire showed why he was the most improved player last year, but on a whole, I think it was a pretty disappointing season for him. Jabril, I, I want to press you on that a little bit. Um, with Jaden Dallaire, what exactly happened there? How can we look towards this? Do you think that Jaden Dallaire would have been a difference maker had he been a core part of the starting lineup the entire season, including the game against Arizona 
what happened? Because I know that I had a lot of hope for Jaden Delaire coming into the season. I thought he was going to be fantastic. Most improved player from last year. Uh, but we, we do continue to see this issue where it seems like the there's some issue between the coaches and a player, whether that was with Dejon Davis last year, whether that's with Jaden Delaire, who knows what's going on there. But he wasn't in the starting lineup against Arizona State, against Arizona, despite being arguably the most talented player on this team, um, other than probably Harrison Ingram. But um, what are your thoughts on that? You know, he's one of those few guys in this team that's really going to try to make something happen when it goes to the hoop. Uh, he's not very good off his dribble and just sort of just struggles once he finds up, once he faces harder competition. I don't know if it's a scheming thing that he doesn't really fit with the coach's offensive scheme, how they like to play. But oftentimes, once they took him off the court, the team started playing better. And then there were some points of the season where Jaden Delaire would take over the game for a few minutes. So it's it's a really tough call whether or not he should be starting or he's better off of a bench role as a six-man. Like, that won him most improved player last year. I think the coaching staff was struggling with that for a good amount of the year and was mixing it up. Um, I think the reason he – I think he wasn't in the starting lineup at the end of the season because he just wasn't playing well and he was turning the ball over a bunch – but it was a really up and down season for him. And honestly, it might not be a horrible thing for the offense in terms of the scheme perspective that he might move on next year. Very interesting. And Els, did you see the season the same way as Jabril? Do you think breakout season for Spencer Jones? Do you think tough season for Jaden Delaire? I mean, it's tough to say anything but that for Jaden Delaire. Um, but yeah, overall, what, what were your thoughts there? No, yeah, I really agree with Jabril about different players in the seasons they had just on that Jaden Delaire point. I think simply we really just saw that you can't really build a team around Delaire as a lot of people were expecting heading into this year. I think Delaire excels when he isn't the main guy that defenses are scheming for. He excelled last year when Oscar Da Silva was the main guy for Stanford and Delaire could find those little spaces to get the points he needed to get to support the team. This year, he was the main guy and that just didn't really work for Stanford. He clogged up a lot of lanes. Jabril mentioned it, but there are a lot of times where, I mean, especially the second half of the season, how many times did we see a big crossover from Delaire in the paint that led to a steal and a dunk on the other end for the other team? Uh, I think definitely in the second half of the season, he brought down the offense a lot, was the cause for some turnovers. Um, and that's why I think the coaching staff decided to not start him in the, in the Pac-12 tournament, which ended up being a great decision, helped the offensive flow a lot more. And that's something I'm interested in seeing going forward for next year. But I just think that the issue was that he really is just not the main guy you could build a team around. I think Harrison Ingram and Spencer Jones uh, showed that they can be that main guy, but Delaire proved over the season that he just not he just not is not that guy. Um, and if I want to take a look at the season as a whole, starting with the non-conference slate, I think there were definitely a few disappointing games that kind of set the tone for the season. Chiefly, the Santa Clara game, second game of the season in that first week, getting blown out at a WCC school is never the best look for a power five team. Um, then also they, they, Stanford itself never blew out any team in the non-conference slate, which is definitely something you want to see when you're playing those lower tier teams like Tarleton, Falpo, San Jose state, NCANT. Um, and then of course, getting blown out at Baylor. First half was great. The second half teams couldn't put it together. Baylor, Baylor really rolled there. And then they had those two early season PAC 12 games, beat Oregon at home, which was great. Uh, Jane Delaire, of course, hit the game-winning three there. But then that loss at Colorado, where Stanford in the first half looked like it, they could almost be in cruise control and then kind of fell apart there with turnovers um, in the second half, ended up losing that game. Evan Batty, of course, having a career day, as he always does, against the Cardinal. Um, but moving forward in the season, the overtime win against Dartmouth, where 
with a minute left in the game, things didn't look good for Stanford. Uh, the loss against Texas and Vegas. And then you see a little part of the schedule where Stanford kind of picked things up and started to hit its stride, winning both of its games in Hawaii, the Diamond Head Classic against Wyoming and Liberty. Wyoming, of course, a tournament team now. Um, and then they got the team got COVID and the Vanderbilt game was canceled um, and they had a huge layoff, but they came back from the layoff, reeled off two big wins, home against USC at Washington State after the Washington State game. They started to show up on a lot of bracketologist boards as next four out, first four out. And then they went to Seattle and lost to Washington, which swiftly dropped them back down in the March Madness picture. After Washington, though, they started to recover a bit, beat Arizona State, beat USC in L.A., then lost to UCLA. And they had a huge three-game homestand that they needed to sweep if they wanted to get back into the March Madness picture. Beat Cal, then lost to Washington State. Which really, which really basically killed their chances there. And then they had another homestand later in the season, which they also need to sweep for their final push back into March Madness. Lost both those games to Utah and Colorado. So definitely a lot of games this season where they're really must win that Stanford wasn't able to get. Had some good wins too, mainly the, the sweep over USC, which we hadn't seen in quite some time. But overall, Stanford just couldn't get it done when it really needed to. I think the most disappointing game um, – of course, was the game at Cal when Stanford only scored 39 points, getting destroyed uh, Cal senior night. Um, yeah, overall, team didn't make the NIT, didn't make the NCAA tournaments. So you have to chalk it up as a disappointing season. Coach Hass, of course, will be back next year as the athletic director announced directly following the Arizona game. And the team heading into next year will largely be the same. Jaden Dallaire, the only uh, scholarship contributor, really, who's leaving. Um, so the team is going to look very similar. I'd imagine Brandon Angel or Max Merle will move into that starting lineup. Um, and so if certain people get better, team keeps improving, we'll, we'll see what happens come next season. We're at the end of the season. I'm going to sound a little similar to how I've sounded throughout the season, but it's time to, it's time to really get into it. So I'll give, I'll give my take on everything that happened with Stanford this season. So I listened back to our season preview episode, not the interview with Jared Haas. I'll talk about that in a second. And I'll save some of the specifics about coaching for a little bit from now. We'll talk about that, Jabril, in, in, in a few minutes. Um, but I listened back to our season preview episode where I said a couple of things. And, and mind you, along the way throughout the season, I predicted a lot of games wrong. I thought I, I was wrong on a lot of specifics on things that happened. But first episode, I said, Stanford's going to get ninth in the Pac-12. Stanford's not going to make the NIT or the NCAA tournament. Stanford's going to get blown out by Santa Clara, a game where they were favored in. And this Stanford team is going to suffer from leadership issues. Leadership issues. So let's, let's talk about this season and what happened. Uh, well, it all started out with a pretty miserable performance against Tarleton State, um, where it was looking like there were points in the game where Stanford maybe wasn't even going to win. Uh, and then they went to Santa Clara, got absolutely eviscerated by a team that is solidly NIT caliber. Um, in my opinion, nothing above that, nothing below that. Um, before they ended up going beating down on the teams that are really, really bad, that are 250 or worse in the net, um, and then getting absolutely destroyed by Baylor and so on, so forth. There were points in the season where people were, were you know, yelling, oh, bubble team, maybe, uh, especially after getting a couple good wins, like a win against Wyoming, a team that didn't by any means deserve to be in the NCAA tournament, but somehow found themselves in a playing game. It's still a good win because we're talking about a team 
that is, I don't exactly know what they are. I think probably top 40 in the country in the net um, and a team that made it into a playing game. Uh, that Wyoming team is pretty garbage for an NCAA tournament team. They're going nowhere in the tournament, but it's a good win regardless. And then a win against Liberty and people were hyped. They said, this team's picking it up. And then they beat number five USC. And that's when people were really starting to feel it. This Stanford team is finding their stride. Jared Haas in his sixth season is figuring it out. Stanford is headed towards the NCAA tournament, but nobody really looked at who USC had played up to that point. That USC team was not a top five team. Everybody knew that. This USC team was what they ended up being, about a seven seed in the NCAA tournament, a, a team that probably isn't going to win a game uh, in, in the tournament and really not that great of a team in what was somewhat of a lucky win for Stanford. Uh, but then they went and beat Washington State when there was that massive run where Washington State just couldn't score for like half of a half. Um, and then that's when Stanford begun to get exposed. So season continues, loss against Washington, blowout loss against Arizona, which reaffirmed that Stanford was nowhere near any of the actual top teams in the country. And just to speed it up, because I know Els has told you a little bit about these games individually, uh, but Stanford went on, lost, 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 basically, because by the end of the season, they were at a point where losing to Utah at home, getting blown out by Cal on the road, then losing to Arizona and Arizona State on the road and coming into the Pac-12 tournament. And we were at a point in time where this Stanford team with a one-point win against Arizona State, the number 96 team in the net, the eighth seed in the Pac-12, a team with a losing record under a failing coach that had no chance of the postseason. They go and celebrate in the locker room like they had just beaten Duke. But at the end of the day, that win didn't matter because Stanford finished this season at 16-16. and 16. They finished this season at 500 under a team that you guys have talked about the talent. This team has Spencer Jones, a guy who's unbelievably talented. They have Harrison Ingram, one of the best freshmen in the country coming into this season. They have Jaden Dallaire, the most improved player from the Pac-12 last season. Brandon Agel, who stepped it up and is unbelievably talented as well. Michael O'Connell, who made a name for himself as a really, really great guard in his freshman season. Didn't have an incredible season, but not bad by any means, really. Uh, and they failed. They completely failed. They didn't make the NIT. This is Stanford University. This is the best school in the world. They have so much recruitment power and they failed once again. Jared Haas has not gone to the NCAA tournament. This team is riddled with false promises and excuses. At the beginning of the season, I told you guys I was going to come back to this uh, and this is the fourth time I've mentioned it on the podcast this season. I asked Jared Hess, I said, last season, you started out with a win against a future, uh, what was it, Elite Eight team in, in or Elite Eight team in Alabama. Uh, and then you ended the season with a loss against Cal in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. Other than COVID and injuries, what went wrong in between those games? Uh, with a lot of words around it, the response was COVID and injuries. And that's, that's a problem. I knew from the second I got that answer and from the look on Jared Hass's face that this season was toast. And that's why I said what I did in our season preview episode because Stanford men's basketball has collapsed. And this is a greater institutional issue here where after that game against Arizona, where every, oh, what a great way to close out the season. The, the team sucked this year. And after that game against Arizona, Bernard quickly announced that, we're going to see Jared Haas back next season. 
the most unbelievable decision for a coach that has brought this program down repeatedly, made repeated excuses. And I do not care what the people in the media are saying that Jared has deserves to have this next season that he hasn't done a bad job at the end of the day he's done a horrible job he has so much talent he has so much recruitment power and he's the coach at Stanford and this team has fallen apart there have been bad coaching decisions repeatedly Uh, I always go back to the Washington State game which pretty much had Jared Hass's coaching style on full display Um, but you'll see at the end of the season that it's these these collapses It's the fact that Stanford can't win towards the end of a season. And the fact that we knew, or at least I knew at the end of the day, this team wasn't going to the tournament. They can't actually string together good wins without bad losses. They're just not going to do it because Jared Hass is going to blame it on something new. So, oh, the on-court performance hasn't been quite as great as we maybe expected it to be. No, it's been awful. The revenue sports are collapsing. And I'll take you back, like I said last week, and like I've been saying for a year and a half now, to Todd Golden and what he's been doing at the University of San Francisco, just as a comparison. Um, again, I'll say, I covered USF back, uh, back a few years ago, uh, and I grew up in San Francisco. I was able to watch that team, a team that was awful. They were really, really bad. Then Kyle Smith took over, began to rebuild them, took them to a second place finish in the CBI. Kyle Smith moves on to Washington State and Todd Golden, a young guy in his early 30s, takes over the program. And what did Todd Golden do? Well, this season, he brought in Tape, a transfer from Duke. He brought in Stefanini, a transfer from Columbia. Masalski, a transfer from San Diego. He built up Jamari Bouye from a guy who was scoring one point per game in his freshman season as a starter at the beginning of the year, a guy who was playing terribly into one of the best guards in the country, a guy who maybe even has a chance of getting drafted, a guy who's going to have a professional career, who is really, really phenomenal, averaging around 20 points per game. Khalil Shabazz, a guy that he took out of a Division II program, brought into his program and said, I'm going to turn you into a great Division I player. You're going to be a guy that we're going to be seeing in March. And what did he do? They finished 22nd in the net. They made the NCAA tournament with an at-large bid, something the school has not done in my lifetime. Coming from the WCC, that was what Todd Golden did at USF with no talent and with not the institution behind him. University of San Francisco is very different from Stanford University. He can't recruit the same players. He doesn't have the same recruitment power, but he brought them to the NCAA tournament because he's a good coach. And Stanford had an opportunity here. Stanford very easily could have said, we need to cut ties with Jared Haas, who objectively has been a terrible, terrible coach for Stanford men's basketball. And we can go try to get a guy like Todd Golden. And Stanford did not do it. They basically said, we're accepting that we're not going to the NCAA tournament next season. Because we see the same thing over and over. Last year's team was a Sweet 16 caliber team. This year's team at least was an NIT caliber team probably even higher than that. And Jared has failed once again. So Jabril, I want to go to you now. I want to hear your thoughts on coaching, not saying you agree with everything I just said. I just want to hear what you have to say. So I also disagree with some of how it's being portrayed in the media. Um, obviously the fans seem to be on a very much it's time to move on side, uh, but the media seems to be, or the people who cover Stanford very much seem to be on the uh, Jared has to stay another year. And, while I think there are some valid arguments for that, um, I think that last season did get pretty torn up by COVID injuries. Does not mean there were not some inexcusable losses like to Oregon State at home, ignoring their Elite Eight run. Oregon State was a bad team last year at that point. Um, 
Washington State losing a triple overtime when they didn't have Isaac Bonton, you can list off tons of inexcusable losses in every season of Jared Haas's tenure here. Um, there's 2020 got messed up. For me, that was an NIT year. I'm willing to give him an NIT bit on the resume. So for me, I am in a 20 or 20, sorry, 2021 last year, I'll give him an NIT bit on his resume. Uh, 2020, the myth that they were going to make an NCAA tournament that year, I think is ridiculous. The idea that they were going to make an NCAA tournament last, that year is sort of a myth to me. Um, they were out of three quarters of the brackets on the bracket matrix. Uh, I don't, they lost to Cal in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. I don't think that team was making it. That was an NIT team. So if you add it up, Jared has his three NIT bids in six years, in my opinion. Um, that's the definition of mediocrity for me. Uh, there are there's good reason to think they'll be better next year. Everyone's coming back. Uh, if you look at this projected starting lineup, Michael O'Connell, junior, Spencer Jones, senior, Harrison Ingram, potentially, sophomore, James Keith, senior, Brandon Angel, junior. That's going to be a Jared Haas team that finally got old. That's going to be a team that should be deciding whether or not he can actually reach his ceiling here at Stanford, whether or not he can take a Stanford team to the NCAA tournament. Because after next year, Spencer Jones is gone. Good chance Harrison Ingram's gone. Good chance there's a couple other guys, maybe some senior. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen after next year? But you're losing Spencer Jones and probably Harrison Ingram after next year. Next year should be a barometer for the program, whether or not if they make it, Jared Hash State. The NIT should not be considered an improvement because this is an old Jared Hash team. As I said, these are his recruits getting old. If you can't make the NCAA tournament with that, where's your ceiling? When are you ever going to make the NCAA tournament? So while I un- I do understand the argument that next year's team is going to be old, going to be better, and Jared Hash should stay. What I completely reject is the idea that some believe that this is some obvious decision to let him to stay. There are some people who are saying anyone inside the program knows that this is the right decision. Um, if this is a very, very obvious decision, we have real problems because there are systemic, systemic issues with this program. Teddy, you've listed some of them off, but I'm going to list them too. Number one, end of season collapses. In the last five games of the regular season, Jared Haas has a 367 win percentage. Last four games of the season, it's a 292 win percentage. The last three games of the season, 222 win percentage. Four and 14 in the last three games of the regular season. And that's not even counting the pathetic performances we've seen in the Pac-12 tournament. That's systemic issue number one. Systemic issue number two, offense. Jared Haas hasn't had a top 100 offense in six years at Stanford. Six years. This year's offense was number 130. That's a problem. Third systemic issue, turnovers. I'm going to read off where they rank in turnovers in the nation. And this is adjusted for opponents. So it's not that the Pac-12 is harder. So it's going to ruin their numbers. This is adjusted for the opponents they play. I'm going to start from 2017, go to 2022. Out of about 350-ish teams in the nation, here's where Stanford ranked in turnovers. 181, 300, 308, 298, 281, 348. 348th in the nation in adjusted turnovers. There are less than 10 teams worse than that. This is Stanford University, everyone. Um, These are three systemic issues now. It's been six years. These are problems within the program with the coaching staff. Um, There's little reason to think that whenever he gets a team full of talent, that it's going to live up to its potential. It's going to reach his ceiling. So that's why for me, like, it's not at all an obvious decision that he should stay next year. Um, Another reason why it's not at all an obvious decision is because there's a guy like Todd Golden out there. There's guys like Tommy Amaker who was many thought was going to get the Duke job. There are two candidates who have, who have proven that they have 
the coaching potentials to be here and have pretty high ceilings, especially Tom Golden for someone who's in his 30s. Uh, one of maybe the most analytical coach in college basketball, a proven player finder, successful. He's already taken USF to the tournament before Stanford's gone here and to the NCAA. Let, let me just interrupt there. And yeah, just go ahead. A, a guy who took guys from Duke and Columbia, albeit those were grad students coming in, but right. he brings in smart players. I, right. I know those guys. I know the players on that USF team. They're smart guys. They're as smart as anybody else at that school. And Todd Golden believes in the culture of the program. He believes the players need to be smart on and off the court for it to be a successful program. He believes in the same culture that Stanford is supposed to believe in. So it really is disgraceful that Stanford just missed out on this opportunity. What I see is uh, really they did miss out on it because he's going to go somewhere else. He's going to go to a power program. That's just what it is. And Jared Haas is just not a better coach. He's just not. I know the other day when UAB made the made the tournament, we were we were making some comments there off the record. We were like, wow, UAB just made the tournament thinking about the UAB coaches of the past. Jabril, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> no, I'm good, but I guess the point <laughs> was that uh, we have their two recent head coaches on our staff, and yet UAB makes the tournament before we do. Um, yeah, I, I will say that the fact, those three systemic issues and the fact that they're Cod Golden seems like an absolute perfect fit for Stanford University right here in the Bay Area. As I said, analytical player finder can work with like the Stanford sort of culture of intelligent, whatever it is. Uh, he seems like a perfect fit. And when you have someone like that who would probably take the Stanford job if you threw enough money at him, um, this really is not an obvious decision as some people are portraying it in the media. And, all you have to hope for now, he's staying. He is my absolute full support. I want Stanford to make the NCAA tournament more than anyone next year. But I think the people who are calling for a change to happen are not at all being unreasonable. And they have every single right to be incredibly annoyed if another year of men's basketball just got thrown away. And if Todd Golden goes somewhere and does incredibly, they have every right to be super, super annoyed. And the one last thing I will say is that the Pac-12 tournament performance should mean virtually nothing to everyone. Um, that Arizona game wouldn't have happened if not for an incredible miracle choke job by ASU. Uh, and I don't have to remind you guys how many times we've gotten these flashes of hopes during the Haas era. Let's talk about this year. Beat USC, go to Washington State, win a game, choke it the next two days later at Washington, throwing yourself back off the bubble. How many times have we gotten these flashes of hope? The 16-point win against Alabama, or 18-point, whatever that win against Alabama was last year. All these times we've gone flash of hope, flash of hope. Maybe the program's going somewhere, only to collapse down the stretch or collapse the very next day or two. Yeah. So I how mean, many times have we seen that, right? Yeah. It's That Arizona game should be nothing. We've seen that millions of times in the last six years. Yeah, I mean, in the last multiple seasons, I mean, I was not a Stanford fan before getting to Stanford. Uh, but in, in terms of just hope for the program and seeing, like, how good do I think this team is, the biggest sign of hope was that game against Alabama at the start of last season, that was a point where I basically went against all of my fundamental beliefs about Jared Hass and said, I think this is a sweet 16 team because they looked so good against an extremely talented and well-coached Alabama team. And it, it did give me a glimpse of hope when you're at Stanford and you're seeing all of their games and you know so much about this program, you know, you just can't believe it because it always goes downhill after that point where the next season you, you win by even less 
against Tarleton State than you did against Alabama the year before in the opening game. That's just what it is. Um, Jabril, yeah. Yeah, I'll conclude with this. My standards for Stanford are unreasonably high. I don't expect Stanford to be an Arizona-type team, be a national contender. I know we don't have the basketball history to do that. We don't have the recruiting. Of it. We don't have the pool, talent pool of recruits we can contru- recruit in order to be a national title contender every year. What I think is reasonable for this program is to be a consistent NCAA tournament team and be a consistent team that's always getting a top, pretty much always getting a top four buy in the Pac-12. And you can do that with the recruiting power Stanford has. You see what Jared has been able to do recruiting-wise. And let's say, I know we've been criticizing him a lot. He's done a fantastic job recruiting, but at some point, results have got to translate there. And he has recruited very, very well. And it shows you the talent can get on Stanford to be a consistent tournament team every year. That's And every every once in a while, you can make a push towards that sweet 16, like they probably should have last year if COVID and some injuries didn't get in the way. I'm not saying that was the excuse for how bad they were, but saying that that definitely ruined their sweet 16 process uh, uh, prospects last year. But you can make those pushes every year. The Stanford team, with the recruiting power it has, can be a consistent NCAA tournament team that's always the three or four, the fourth best team in the Pac-12. That's reasonable. Um, next year is a Jared Haas team getting old, as I've said before. If they can't get to the NCAA tournament team, the NCAA tournament with that team, when are they going to get it? What else do we have to wait for? For Jared Haas to take the Stanford program to the NCAA tournament, they're gonna. This is going to be all his team next year, and. I think we'd like to see some urgency from the athletic director. I mean, think about what this ha- what's happened now in the last few years. Both Stanford football and basketball, both of our revenue sports have cratered to the bottom third of the Pac-12. Attendance might not even be at 25%. There is so much wrong for Stanford with Stanford revenue sports right now. I totally understand the frustration and wanting to see some urgency. But now that we're, you, we're doing this next year, they're running this back. This is going to be pretty much the same team minus Jaden Delaire if Harrison Ingram decides to stay. They have my full support. I hope they make the NCAA tournament. But if they don't, when are they? And I think that's an ex- that's a question that the AD is really, really, really going to have to answer next year if they don't make it. Before I give my concluding thoughts on this season, Els, do you have any concluding thoughts on the season on the whole? Uh, I do not. I feel like I covered everything I wanted to in my concluding statement. Sounds good. So I'm going to give my final thoughts here. And it goes back to... Being a kid in San Francisco, a huge college basketball fan, uh, I was a big USF fan growing up. And every season, I was just waiting for that USF team to make the NIT. I wanted USF to make the NIT. I did not have high expectations for them. I didn't think they were an NIT caliber team. And they ended up making the NIT back when I was, I don't know how old I was, maybe like 11, 12 years old. But then the big moment for me was when USF got second in the CBI. And I said, I see a lot of hope here. They lost two to one to North Texas in the finals of the CBI. I never had high expectations, but I always had high hopes. I always thought this team could get better. They could go from the CBI to the NIT, to the NCAA tournament. They could build it up because I saw great leaders come into the program. First, I saw Rex Walters running a team into the ground. Then I saw Kyle Smith build a team up. Because he had high hopes, he had high expectations for the players, and he built a culture around success, a team that was going to win 20 games each and every season. And that was the basketball fan I was growing up. I grew to love college basketball because I always saw the hope there. No matter how many times USF missed the NIT in the NCAA tournament, 
The players, the coaches, they never gave up. And then a couple of days after my 20th birthday, USF made the NCAA tournament. It is the exact opposite at Stanford. I would never want to have been a child, a fan of this Stanford basketball program right now, where each and every year you expect them to make the NCAA tournament. That's what a school like Stanford should do. The number one school in the country, probably. A school that plays in the Pac-12, that's in sunny California, that's able to get some of the best players in the country, like Zaire Williams, like Harrison Ingram, um, and some really brilliant guys, like Oscar De Silva, like Sam Beskin to come in. He's a brilliant guy who came into the program. Um, and then each and every year, you're disappointed because you know there isn't that leadership. You know there are excuses being made. And you know that the athletic director is not going to act with urgency. So what should have happened at the end of this season? Jared Hass should not be the coach for Stanford men's basketball anymore. That is my personal opinion. Stanford fans continue to be disappointed, and they're going to continue to be disappointed after this season. The college basketball fan that I was growing up, always waiting for USF to take it another step up. That college basketball fan would be so disappointed to see that, that my school, Stanford, is operating in this fashion. So this college basketball program is a mess. And the fact that I said on the preview episode, basically exactly what happened this season shows that I, as a Stanford student, did not have faith in Jared Haas. I did not have faith in this program. So I would ask that Jared Haas come onto the podcast and tell me why I'm wrong at the start of next season, uh, because I think he has some explaining to do. It wasn't COVID and injuries. It's a bad coaching staff. So We'll have to see what happens. Those are my thoughts after this season. To say I'm disappointed would be an understatement. And as a diehard college basketball fan, and really having been a journalist for many years now within college basketball, I haven't quite seen something like this, where he's still sticking around with this program. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been a fun year on the podcast. We've had our highs. We've had our lows. Um, I wanted to get that all, all on the line there because um, obviously I've been disappointed throughout this season watching this all go down, but uh, we're going to have to see what happens next year because Jared Hass is back for another season. Jabril, you've said over and over, this is a, an old Jared Hass team. So they're going to try again for the NCAA tournament. I can't wait to hear the excuses that come through next season, but I'm excited for it. And again, I will root for Stanford basketball, but I have very low expectations now. And that's not going to change anytime soon. So with that, I'm Teddy Solomon alongside Jabril Taha and Stanford men's basketball team manager, Els Boone. Thank you guys for tuning in all of this season. Who knows? We may be back at some point in the off season with some special episodes. We'd like to do interviews every now and then, but it's been so fun doing this. We love talking about Stanford basketball, Pac-12 basketball. We all love college basketball through and through. And I hope you guys appreciate the differing perspectives here because we really like to just say our thoughts on all of this because, you know, we love college basketball. So thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you guys next season. Special thanks to Teddy Solomon, Els Boone, and Jabril Taha for hosting this series. I'm Chloe Mendoza, producer of this episode and managing editor of podcasts for Volume 261. For more podcasts by the Stanford Daily, visit stanforddaily.com slash category slash podcasts.